Hello everyone, here we are again for a reason for hope. It's uh, good to see you, so to speak, out there. Thank you for joining us again. A Reason for Hope is an hour-long live broadcast which is guided by your questions on the Bible. You can send in your questions to us through the multiple online uh, platform. Oh, that stuff's spicy. I just put some uh, chapstick on <laughs> that I bought from Bo. <laughs> My my lips are <laughs> <laughs> regret regret. Yeah. I tell you, I put habanero it's sauce a, yeah, on. Yeah, you did. Wow, <laughs> put my makeup on was good. It was just uh, just chapstick here That's in the dry right. desert. But as I'm talking, it's like uh, getting increasingly more spicy on my lips. Anyway, you didn't need to know that. What you need to know is that you can send us your Bible questions in uh, through our multiple online platforms where we're streaming live to, and we have some wonderful guests here men of God who love the word and love to answer your questions and find uh, God's truth in uh, in his word to address the questions that you have. And so please do send your questions in. We welcome them as long as they're an honest question, as long as you know that the Bible is the source of the answers. It could be a, a verse or passage of scripture, could be uh, something you're, you're going through, maybe on a more personal level, something you're, you're facing in your life. You'd like a biblical perspective on it. What does the Bible say about your circumstances? What does, uh, what does God want from you in those situations, maybe things going on in the world, maybe even other religions and how they relate and compare to the Bible and Christianity, anything along those lines. Again, as long as you know the Bible is where we find our answers. We don't want to share our opinions, but as accurately as we can, we'd like to share the word with you today. That's what we're all about. So I'll be going over those platforms in just a moment. But with us today, it's uh, Tuesday here in Tucson, Arizona. We have Pastor Bo Willett, who's the assistant pastor here at uh, Calvary Christian Let me shimmy in the frame. <laughs> like, oh, no. Am I in the frame? <laughs> cool, at least you weren't picking your nose or something like that. But uh, Bo is the assistant pastor here at Calvary Christian Fellowship where we're streaming from and has been for many years. How many years? 30 years? Yeah. I don't know. Something like that. A long yep. time. Long time. Yeah. Also the founder of uh, Running Light Ministries, which yep. is mostly based around sexuality, uh, Christianity and sexuality and sexual struggles and things like that yeah um, and they could always check get my book online it's called porn and a pastor and it was written in, back in 2007 and if they're interested in my writing stuff they could uh you know go online and get that at amazon or whatever whatever yeah you know, great if you want to type that kind of title oh on yeah because, yeah. <laughs> yeah yes yeah. but it is called porn and a pastor cool very good well thanks for being with us yep yeah today also with us sean richards pastor sean richards of course you know him I'm also here on staff at Calvary Christian Fellowship. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Yeah? Yeah, enjoying the uh, slight, not lengthy or extreme by any means, but slight uh, rainfall that we got. Mm. We've been having yeah. a dry last couple of weeks, but yeah, just it's enjoying the shade, enjoying the moisture, enjoying the sudden and raucous sounds that interrupt the monotony of life. <laughs> Indeed, I enjoy it too. It's been... Uh, it's thunder, by the way. It's thunder, yes, thunder. thunder. <laughs> In layman's terms, thunder. It's been uh, humid here for the desert. They talk about a dry heat, yeah. but we haven't had much of that. Usually when the storms come, it takes that away, but it's just been mm -hmm. it's been kind of humid here. Yeah, it's but, nice. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's different for sure. Well, thank you, uh, both of you, for being with us today and yeah. for making yourself available for people's uh, questions. Again, uh, as I mentioned, A Reason for Hope is a live broadcast. We're with you Monday through Friday, 5 to 6 p.m. here at Mountain Standard Time in Tucson, Arizona. Uh, but you can join us, of course, all around the world. Uh, this used to be a radio show, and now it's more of a, a, a web stream, a, a vlog, or whatever you'd like to call it. But we're streaming on multiple platforms that you can join us on. A great home base for you is our website, calvarychristianfellowship.com. Once again, it's uh, an outreach of Calvary Christian Fellowship here in Tucson, Arizona. You're more than welcome to come check us out and join us if you're looking for somewhere to, to worship. 
here in the Tucson area. We're right near Prince and I-10 on the west side of the freeway. So uh, again, you're, you're welcome to come. We have Sunday services and a Wednesday, Wednesday evening service. Uh, more details you can find there on our website, calvarychristianfellowship.com. If you go to that live tab, anytime we're live, we stream to that page. The direct link of that is ccftucson.online.church. That's ccftucson.online.church. If you type that right into your web browser, it will take you to that same page. Uh, we're online now, so you'll see a video. You'll see, um, uh, you can sign in with a username of your choice and then send your question in through the chat function. I'll be right there with you receiving your questions. When we're offline, you'll see a, a countdown to our next show and you'll see a schedule of upcoming events. So you won't have to miss anything there. We're live on Facebook as well, facebook.com slash CCF Tucson, Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson there on Facebook. We're live there. Don't forget to like and share. We'd appreciate that. Uh, but once again, send your question in on that platform and we will get to those on the show today, Lord willing. Uh, we have an app as well. If you go to your app store and your mobile device, Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson, look for that red background with the Calvary Chapel Dove logo. That's our app there. And then you can watch us on your phone as well. It's kind of the same um, uh, platform as the one from the website, the same kind of look as that. So you can send in your questions there and view us there as well. And we have a channel on Roku and Apple TV as well. That's pretty cool. If you look for Calvary Christian Fellowship in your uh, channel, uh, channel store, add us as a channel and you can watch us on your TV if you have Roku or an Apple TV. That's how my mom and dad watch it on Apple TV because my older brother takes care of them and they're cool. Um, we're on YouTube as well. Uh, a Reason for Hope, that is the name of the channel on YouTube. So look for A Reason for Hope. Again, if you look for that white Calvary Chapel uh, Dove logo, um, then you'll find us there. That's a great place for archives as well. If you missed a show, if you click on that live tab, anytime we've been live, it will um, automatically archive there. So if you want to recap a show or you miss one, or if you want to watch our services as well, we stream to that same, all these same platforms for our services at Calvary Christian Fellowship as well. Don't forget to like and subscribe. And if you click on that notification bell as well, that will uh, give you a little prod. Oh, thunder. You hear that? I don't know if that came through for you guys at home, but thunderbolt, well, thunderbolt and lightning. Very, very frightening. Uh, pastor Scott, who's our senior pastor here at Calvary Christian Fellowship. He's not with us today. He's usually with us uh, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Mondays as well, right, with Adrian, yes. That's um, the new routine. That's the new routine, subject to change. Uh, but you can follow uh, him on Twitter or X or however they're branding themselves these days, Scott R4H. That's Scott, letter R, number four, letter H. That's, that's right. I always struggle saying that. And he posts highlights from the show. He posts um, commentary on things going on in the world, news events. There's, there's so much uh, end times thing going on, things going on, things that pertain to prophecy, um, things that uh, you know line up with everything we see in the Bible, basically. So if you're interested in those kind of things, which of course we all should be, uh, follow along with Scott, and he posts uh, things along those lines, and also some funny things and shenanigans and tomfoolery, as he says as well. So Scott Arthur H on Twitter. If you're a Twitter kind of person, we're on uh, Rumble as well. A Reason for Hope Bible Q&A. If you're on that platform, we're not live there, but we post videos there as well. And we have a, uh, what's it called? Email address, questionsforhope at gmail.com. That's questionsforhope spelled out uh, with letters at gmail.com. You can email us there and we get to those questions too. If you're listening to us on uh, the radio, Reach Radio, one of the affiliates, uh, be careful on your drive time, especially it sounds very thundery out there. So be safe. And I uh, know that you're listening to the last show that we did pre-recorded, so we're not live with you per se. You're listening to basically yesterday's show, but use that email address, questionsforhope at gmail.com, and we'd be glad to get to that question 
on our next show and then you'll hear it the next day if you stick to the radio but we're glad you're there we're glad you found us whatever platform i'll be keeping my eye on all of those as your questions come on in and again uh, be brave send your question in as long as it's an honest question i'm sure there's other people that have the same question there's no dumb question as long as it's an honest one we're glad to receive those and find the answers in the word today so and relevant to the bible and relevant to the bible that's right the bible's the source of our answers so bible questions we appreciate it indeed well um bo you're 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 with us more scarcely than sean is would you like to pray for us before yes, we go any absolutely. further absolutely yeah that'd be okay great. let's thank pray you. father we thank you so much for your goodness and your grace and we just remember that you are a holy god uh we do pray your kingdom would come and that your will would be done on this show and uh we thank you so much for how you provide for us and uh lord we just want to be uh, honest with you and our time and our prayer closets in those times of communion with you and pray that you give us great forgiveness for other people just as you've forgiven us so bless this time we pray in jesus name mm-hmm. amen 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 well should we jump right into the questions yes. you guys ready you sitting comfortably mm-hmm. uh, we had a question from my son actually london um he asked where did the act of you know crossing yourself making the sign of the cross it's mostly known as a catholic thing i guess but where did that come from what does it mean exactly and why don't we still practice that as protestants oh some protestants do um when it comes to where it came from the earliest mention we have was this guy named tertullian and if you read anything about church history he's usually the second or third name that comes up he's one of the big characters not, yeah he's an early guy yeah uh, around uh, the late 100s to early 200s yeah. and that's around the irenaeus time period so very uh, very early now he had opinions just like anyone else and when it came to his practices in the christian life uh, one of the comments that he made about uh, a mark of piety was to literally not mark your body but your forehead with the mark of our lord now where this came from as far as his ideas was a handling of revelation chapter 7 where in reference to ezekiel angels were told before any judgment from God was going to go out that the people of God were going to have the name of the Lord marked on their foreheads, the mark of the Lamb. Now, we're not told that it looks like a cross. I I can get the association, but we're not told what it is or the name of the Lord being referenced in a Tau symbol or whatever. But the idea of that symbol being marked started with Tertullian way, way back in the day. Now, the Coptic Church, which is not Catholic, has adopted this practice as well. Uh, Orthodox Christians, which are not Catholic, and they'd be the second to tell you, also do this, but they're not Catholic. And there's even some Protestant groups that do it just because it's tradition. But as far as the problems with this in Christian life, the reason we do something, which is why you're asking London, is just as important as what you're doing. God doesn't care as much about what your hands are doing as much as the heart behind it. So where do we get this in the Bible? The answer is nowhere. If people are going to try to be, uh, I guess, slippery for a modest term and say, well, it says in uh, Exodus that when Moses fought the Amalekites that he was to hold his arms outstretched and that is what allowed Israel to win the battle against Amalek. Okay, but that's not an instruction. That's not something Israel modeled every time that they went to battle. They didn't establish dominance by doing a T-pose and all that stuff, to use the modern term. That was a very specific instruction, granted a very unsubtle foreshadowing, but no more than the bronze serpent. And that's 
quoted in John chapter 3. It took place in the book of Numbers, chapter 19, I believe, right? Now, what's interesting about the other options they give is Revelation 7 and the other mentions to the name of the Lord, the mark of the Lord. This is predating the mark of the beast, by the way. First of all, takes place during the tribulation and specifically for a purpose to set them aside from God's wrath. When Tertullian was referencing it, he just noted as a mark of piety. This is two different things happening here. One is given to believers at a certain point in history to spare them from God's wrath. The other is something that we apply to ourselves in order to identify ourselves publicly with Christ. Now, uh, you know, I've had interactions and encounters, uh, say, driving into my parents' uh, neighborhood, the lady running the gate found out that I'm a pastor, and so she'd give me the little cross symbol, and, you know, I don't tell her off about it. I just go, oh, thanks, yeah, glad you recognize that shape is associated with Jesus of Nazareth. That's all well and good. But it's no more Christian than, say, for example, Christmas cookies or the uh, idea of decorating a tree. It's a tradition. It's something that we do that draws attention to the person of Jesus. But as far as what godly living is all about, what's actually instructed in Scripture, you're not going to find this, let alone this. And that's where this started. Uh, for those listening on radio, the this is the cross across the shoulders and the cross across the forehead. Mm. But that's where the idea came from. A very sloppy handling of Revelation 7, a borderline deceptive handling of Exodus chapter 17, and a tradition that was modeled by a very, very significant church figure by the name of Tertullian, who had his lifestyle opinions, and uh, some people adopted it more passionately than others. Mm. But whether you're Coptic, whether you're Catholic, Orthodox, or Protestant, it ultimately comes down to this, not just what are you doing in the name of the Lord, but why are you doing it? The things that we ought to do morally come from Scripture. The things that we can do come from tradition. Just make sure that you understand what and why. Or if you come from Calvary Chapel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. We got our right? uh, if you come from a Calvary, right? Where, uh, you know, it, it's funny. It's like, um, you know, you study religions, London, and and, 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 it's, and it's kind of interesting, but within re- religious circles, there's all this kind of ritual. And uh, and I know you know that. And there's all, and even, even handshakes and and certain hand gestures are all right. part of kind of the religious uh, thing practices. Yep. And it's kind of no different. It's like, uh, you know, things get kind of, uh, you know, set in motion. And, and uh, you know, I'm glad that the, the sign of the cross wasn't kind of uh, that kind of you have to do it or else, you know, I'm sure at some point in some sex it probably did get that oh, hardcore, yeah. you know. But uh, there are uh, other religions that do have similar kind of ideas of, you know, hand gestures and different handshakes and different things, uh, ceremony things. Um, But, um, you know, and and it's also interesting to me, too, London, that, uh, you know, it's like the sign of the cross becomes almost like a superstitious thing. I, I don't know if you've ever seen a movie where they do the sign of the cross and it's kind of like, you know, they're uh, warding off the devil, you know, and that's kind of a right. big thing, right? You're warding and off it never works. The de- yeah, and they, <laughs> they do the sign of the cross, mm-hmm. and, and it's almost like a ritual that almost like you're expecting in the movie because that's kind of what's helping them get rid of the demon or mm-hmm. whatever. And, and uh, but, you know, the Bible just doesn't say anything about kind of this, this specific sign. Right. of the cross. It's just not there. 
Um, and it can certainly move us away from looking at Jesus as being the ultimate authority and ultimate power that wards off the enemy, mm-hmm. so to speak. So sometimes we can, you know, go, oh, well, I got this, you know, even like a tattoo, you know, I got this thing that has the scripture on it. And, and, and it almost becomes very superstitious to a yeah. person, you know, and instead of really understanding that, no, the power of a Christian life is, is Christ in you. That's the hope of glory, Colossians chapter 1, mm. verse 28, I think 27, I think it is. Mm. Christ in you, the hope of glory. You know, uh, for me to die is gain, to live is Christ, mm. you know? And so that's the Christian life, yeah. you know? Um, so we gotta beware. Uh, another kind of, uh, in the same kind of thread is the idea of upside down crosses. You know, mm-hmm. them those became very superstitious of evil, you yeah. know, spirits and right. and so if you saw an upside down cross, it was like the devil, you know, which is really odd. And back in my heavy metal days growing up, you know, that's what I always thought: upside down devil. Mm-hmm. And it blew my mind to realize that the upside down cross was actually something that Peter, in uh, the Fox's Book of Martyrs, um, that book talks about Peter's death and tradition says he would did not want to he didn't feel it honorable to be crucified right side up right like Jesus like Jesus so yeah. he literally asked to be crucified crucified upside down yeah which was a much uglier death yeah so I, I just like you're just like and I when I read that I was like oh like oh my gosh like this isn't a devil thing yeah this is actually was a was a uh, a humiliated kind of way to die and mm. it was saying I'm not even worthy to be crucified like my Lord yeah I mean just absolutely unreal uh-huh. but you could see how the superstition comes in there though you know yep. if someone makes a sign of an upside down cross you know what's right. that right. you know right and then, so we got to beware of all that yeah there's it, not power in those things is what you're saying like holy water yeah. and sign of the cross and we don't yield power with these things. The power is just right. in Christ alone. Yeah, the New Testament, even in the ceremonies in the New Testament, um, let's think of one major New Testament ceremony, and that is communion. Yeah. Uh, we don't see in the scriptures where communion is like this, if you will, this kind of universal, superstitious um, ceremony that if you don't heed to it um something happens um you know the only warning we have is that when you do take of communion (laughs) to do it in a right way yeah Mm because there's people who brought the wrong heart to it especially in the church of corinth because where else would that happen and people were getting sick and literally dying in the text as a result of their improper handling of communion. There's people who will mishandle John 6 and say, well, it says, unless you partake of my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part with me. He goes on to say, my words are spirit. (laughs) The flesh profits nothing, but the spirit gives life. But don't let that stand in the way of your well-thought-out tradition. The point being made, though, is that, London. Just make sure that what you're doing is informed with the right heart, and that was to honor and reflect God. If this is how you do it? Great. Just make sure that he, in the heart, is also what's being represented there. Yeah, great I don't question, have to do that. London. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yep. that's a good question. Yeah, good awesome. question. Cool. Well, thanks, son. Do your homework. I'll be home soon. A <laughs> <laughs> uh, question from uh, Crystallized Coyote, or CC, as we like to And welcome back to school. 
all the kids, man. Yeah. You know, hey, we're praying for you. Yes, indeed. We're praying for you. Yeah. Getting back in that school routine for the kids and the parents, too. Getting back in that mode. Yep. Um, okay. My, my daughter was funny. She um, she struggles with doing homework. but she's, So last night we were like, okay, we're going to come home. We don't know, da, da, da. <laughs> she was saying, Dad, you don't have to worry. This first semester, it's great. Like, I'm into it. Like, next semester, that's when I really start to struggle. With. <laughs> I was like, okay, we'll see. We'll see that. Anyway, question from uh, Cece. Uh, um, how, this was a follow-up on something we, we talked about. We didn't get to the question last week. But how exactly do we live like we could see Jesus at any moment? Because, uh, you know, as we understand it, Jesus could come you know, at any moment. There's, there's not prophecy that's yet to be fulfilled. Yeah. Um, and we're to, to look for that glorious appearing, right? The Bible says to live in that kind of way, looking for him. Yep. How practically, what does that look like for us to live every day like he could come any moment? Great yeah. question. Um, I guess if you don't know what to do next or what to do specifically, fall back in what you do know. There'll be two passages I'll mention, but this is the most straightforward. Uh, this is Titus 2 and verse 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Then goes on to note how he proved that. So what does that ultimately give us as far as instruction? Well, it tells us two don'ts and three do's denying ungodliness, so the sort of things that would be like God or Mm. godly, not that, (laughs) what we would generally call the lust of the flesh, and worldly lusts. Now, lust literally just means to burn with passion, the sort of behavior that denotes a lack of self-control. You do these things not because you want to, but because you have to. Uh, Addictive behaviors, we'd call them today, but it isn't even necessarily that. Just the sort of things that you tend to struggle with, the areas of sin that you're most drawn to. Those are the things to avoid, but then it notes instead to live soberly. Now again, we usually only associate this with alcohol or some sort of intoxicant, but anything that makes you not sober is anything that makes you lose control of your faculties, like the lust term a lack of self-control, a lack of being able to say, I'm doing this, I'm not doing that, instead of saying, I have to do this. Mm. A sober mindset reflects that. Righteously, righteous meaning a right us relationship, a right relationship between you and God, the sort of things that reflect improperly, and godly. So instead of ungodliness, godliness, knowing what his character would reflect in that. Uh, Good summaries of what this looks like in action are in 2 Peter 1 and other places, but where I oftentimes find myself going back to, and well, I'm sure you can attest to this as well, is in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 3, where Paul just lays it out, not just in a Greek culture, but in a human culture. Yeah. This is the will of God. Your. Very, very broad, but very yeah. direct, right? Yep. Your sanctification literally being cleansed and set aside for a new purpose. That you should abstain from sexual immorality and knowing how to, possess, uh, how to possess your vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust, like the Gentiles who do not know God. And paraphrase, but you catch the point. So, and then the next chapter goes on to note a positive as well. The negative, the positive. First Thessalonians 5 notes that we're to what? Pray always or rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. 
these are the ways that we redeem the time. This is how we reflect the sort of godliness that Paul was communicating to Titus and the avoidance of the sort of things that show a lack of self-control. The fruit of the Spirit, as we remember, first, uh, first Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 23 note, the fruit of the Spirit, the natural outcropping of God's work in our hearts, concludes with self-control as one of the aspects of love. If that's what describes our lives, then like he said in 1 Corinthians, we're going to have a, a lot more to answer for in a positive sense than a negative. Our works won't be burned up, we'll be rewarded. So that's how we live like Jesus could be coming, that I'm going to answer for the way I'm living my life, and I'd rather do it in a way where I have more to show than to hide. Yeah, um, I was thinking of a couple passages. One of them is found in the book of Timothy, where Paul writes the protege Timothy and says, hey man, fulfill your your commission, basically. Fulfill your ministry. Do the work of an, of an evangelist. You know, keep going, mm. Timothy. Keep serving the Lord. I also thought of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, where Paul says, hey man, I work harder than all of them. I, I work harder than all the apostles. You know, yet not I, but the grace of God within mm. me, he says. You know, but this is the idea, and, and we see it in uh, Philippians 2, uh, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And practically, what, how it works is, you know, when I was a kid and my mom said, uh, my mom was a single parent, um, my dad was in and out of jail at times and different things, mm. so... And then he, uh, then they divorced. And um, so my mom was a single mom, and uh, she would say, "Hey, boys, you know I'm coming home at three o'clock." And it's like, man, I tell you what, I was anticipating her coming home yeah. because my mom wasn't the one where, you know, I remember once, uh, like she told me to do something before she got home, and I, I was caught. I, I literally was on my bike cruising around the neighborhood. She came around a corner on her way home and she saw mm. me. Yeah. And she was like, you know, like, you know, <laughs> looking <laughs> at me like, did you get that stuff done? And sure enough, I didn't and yeah. I got it, yeah. you know. But the idea is, is not so much that we're gonna get it from the Lord, that's not <laughs> what we wanna get out of it, but the idea of there's an anticipation, especially yeah. if we look at a good family situation, not so much mine, which w had a lot of negatives to it, but, you know, if you're in a loving family, I would imagine that the kids are very much expecting the, the mom or dad to come home. Yeah. And, and they're excited about it and they're anticipating it and, you know, and, uh, you know, everything like that. And they're just they're ready for it. And yeah. so their life is kind of lived in a way that's wrapped around this this idea of seeing this person. Right. And. Um, and, uh, you know, and that's how you have to live the Christian life yeah. is, you know, Christ is coming back. And, you know, what do you want to be doing when he's coming back? You know, that's the practicality to it. And there's a lot of things you could probably could think of you don't want to be doing. <laughs> but think of the things that you, you, you want to do, like maybe serving his body you know, serving his church and, and going, hey, you know what? Jesus said, when the church was being persecuted, Jesus said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Right. You know, and that's Jesus's body. And, um, and 
what greater thing you can do than get involved in your local church, serving in the, in the body of Christ, and practically making, uh, using your time, your talent, your treasures within the body of Christ, ministering the grace of God to other people, uh, serving. I mean, wouldn't it be great if you were doing children's ministry and, man, the Lord comes back and you're busy, you know, helping out or you're, mm-hmm. you're, you're, you know, taking out the trash in the church, you know, building or, you know, you're, you're doing something in the body of Christ yep. and the Lord comes back, you know, and you're doing it from a right on heart too. You yep. just love the Lord. Or imagine if you, you're witnessing to that very last person who's going to be right, saved. Right, right, And you both go, boom. Right. <laughs> oh, what are you? That would be, <laughs> be yeah, pretty awesome. Yeah, but I mean, that's, that's the idea is just the anticipation is, uh, yeah. you know, of Christ is coming back. You know, I want to be, I want to be found, you know, busy. Yeah. You know, yeah. with my hand to the plow. Absolutely. And um, that kind of idea. Yeah. And how you see, I mean, I guess it comes down to how you see the value of, of him. Because I remember... I mean, I've gone when I became a Christian when I was 19. God was just like a supplement, really. You know, I was like, oh, yeah, I'll take, I'll take a God on. That sounds, you know. Yeah, I'll take but a it's, pill. Yeah, I'll take, I'll take a yeah, He's going, oh, he's got a plan for my life. Oh, salvation, you know. And I remember thinking, I don't, you know, I, I went to church with a lot of elderly people, and they were just like, oh, today could be that. They were always looking up and looking at the clouds. Today could be the day Jesus comes. And I remember thinking, I don't want him to come yet. Like, I want to. I want to get married. I want to have kids. I want to do this. I want to do that with music. I want to do this. Yeah. Um, but now, <laughs> now, now I'm, like, I'm looking at the clouds, and I want him to come because the, his value is, you know, just far, you know, yeah. superseded that of anything in the world that you could ever pursue. So, yeah, um, the I value that, that whole step. <laughs> yeah. Did you? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's good. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. Get there young, but yeah, the value we see on him. But but does it mean because we've had this discussion before? Like, should we just trash the world then if Jesus is coming back? Should we just forget about recycling or, you know, saving the whales or taking care of the environment and stuff? Because, you know, should we bother with a retirement plan? You know, those kind of things. It kind of, is that how we live like it could come today? Like well, we don't really care about the world anymore? Like we mentioned about having less to apologize for than to celebrate, something to offer rather than something to hide. Uh, first of all, in Revelation 15, we're told that one of the reasons God's enacting wrath on this earth is because of our tendency to destroy it rather mm. prevent the problem than add to it no this world not the next world this world being trashed is what's going to render judgment the second right. thing is if we're gonna and we talked about this on uh, sunday with our junior high and high school uh, proverbs twelve ten makes an interesting point of contrast the righteous man regards the life of his animal but the tender mercies of the wicked are cruel And what was interesting in the conversation we had about it was the wicked guy, the not good guy that's being contrasted with the righteous guy, isn't the point of comparison. It's that they're trying to be nice, and it still comes off as cruel, whereas the righteous person, someone in a right relationship with God, regards lives of even those quote-unquote beneath them. And that's because they have one thing in common. They all view this as something that God made. I made a meme about it so they wouldn't miss the point. But the point of emphasis is just that. God made this. Yes, it's ravaged by sin, and there is a definite consequence to the ways that we've mishandled it, or that I quote, others are mishandling it. Mm. But if we're going to reflect his characteristic, we're going to be godly in this present age, God doesn't break his own stuff. 
He'll give us the freedom to break ourselves, but God doesn't wreck his stuff unless it's poisoning something. And that's the whole uh, point of emphasis about environmentalism. It makes us the figurehead. Uh, It's grounded in the idea of humanism, that mankind is inherently good, that we'll naturally and altruistically make good decisions for our own benefit until a pandemic starts, and then you see people killing each other over toilet paper. That kind of threw out the window. The point of emphasis we need to remember, though, is that if we love the Creator, we'll reflect that in our treatment of the creation. Just because this thing's going to be disposed of, no more gives the right to trash it than, say, for example, I'm making uh, somebody a present out of my little artwork and stuff and saying, I'll make you another one, and then you say, oh, and then just rip the first one in half. No, that that would hurt what little bit of a soul I have left, right? So you don't want to do that. But if, on the other hand, we want to do the same reflection to God, that's how that's done. Yeah. By the way, I want to thank Pastor Junho Kim for the cool Calvary cap. Thank you, Juno. Oh, nice. Out at Calvary Chapel, Saharita, yeah. Arizona. Did they have those made out there? At, uh, yeah, yeah. You go there, and uh, they got the camo Calvary cap. I love it. That's pretty nice. Yeah, Juno's, uh, man, he's really rocking it over there with yeah. the, uh, with caps. I love it. <laughs> with the caps. Our radio <laughs> I love industry it. is riveted. I love it. Yeah, I've had this one for a couple years now. I just, uh, I, but uh, now that, you know, I just thought, man, I should thank Juno. Yeah. So thank you, Juno. Someone else mentioned on Sunday that we don't have ccf t-shirts and we haven't really had done much merch yeah have we no we should we should be walking around with with shirts with yeah. and caps and Maybe that we'll kind of thing we'll start that out we should yeah but yeah very good well great uh thank you cc for that uh, that question um again send us your questions and you can be in the front of the line uh, we have kind of thin with questions coming in today so if you have a question on the bible do send those in i'm looking at all those different platforms facebook and youtube and our website and all that stuff so please send your question in um, we have one here from Robert. Good evening, my brothers. Good evening to you as well, Robert. Uh, so my question is based out of Psalm 139.8. <clears throat> it says, If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. Uh, so I was understanding that God's presence is absent uh, in hell. So what uh, language is David using in the psalm to state this? So is God in hell or not? Yeah. That's the question. Um, Three things that I think will clear up this is, first of all, check the assumptions. Is it biblical that God's presence is cut off from hell? Uh, And the answer to that, believe it or not, is no. There is a sense in which God's presence is even there in hell. Otherwise, omni wouldn't mean omni. There's not like this compartmentalized extra dimension where Satan's ruling and reigning. He didn't want to be in hell any more than anyone else. Uh, The reason I say that is because in Revelation chapter 14, we're told how those who will experience the wrath of God here and in the hereafter are noted in verse 9 where the third angel warns anyone taking the mark of the beast. He says, whoever receives the mark on his right hand or in his forehead, he himself shall also drink the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. Now, before I go into the kicker verse, what are we being told about here? Is hell rightly described as the pouring out of the wrath of God on somebody? This cup being prepared that Jesus described, he'd endure on the cross. Is that what's being described here? Yes, okay, as long as we can agree with that, then this is where the kicker comes in. Verse 10, he himself should drink the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength in the cup of his indignation. He should be tormented, internal anguish, with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. 
and the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night who worship the beast in his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. So note that description of the hereafter for those who consciously reject relationship with Jesus, not just in the mark of the beast, but in general. You are separated from God, but in what sense? Not in presence, because this angel, unless he's a false angel, text doesn't say that, says you're in the presence of the angels and the lamb, but it's not a pleasant one. Mm. But then noting the comparison where people usually get this, not even analogy, but this doctrine about hell, is that in the book of James, we're told that the source of every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights in whom there's no variation or shadow of turning. And completely sound, by the way, they can then conclude hell is an existence without that fellowship with Mm. the Father. Some people take it a step too far, even the pastors if they're not careful, and saying hell is where God isn't. Well, no, it's not where you have fellowship with God. It's where you're in the presence of a holy God, but not in a positive sense. There's those who can bask in his light because they've been conformed to the image of Christ, who can enjoy that relationship like God the Son has with the Father from eternity, or there's those in the presence of the Father, in the presence of pure holiness, and it's killing them. Yeah, mm-hmm. if you read the book of Job um, on that point, yeah. you'll, you'll get this, that idea. So if you read the book of Job, you're going to get the idea that if you go before God, um, you're toast. And in more ways than one. Yeah, yeah, that it's not, it's not like a, a, a pleasant, it wouldn't be pleasant. And this is kind of the idea that we have about the place that we call hell Mm -hmm. um and so um you're right Uh, i mean i love how you describe it um because revelation 14 there makes it really clear that it's in the presence of and so if you're standing in the presence of god and of his holiness and his other holy beings and of the lamb right god in human flesh and you're still in your sin you're still you do not have forgiveness of your sin then then it's utter judgment Mm. yeah like christopher hitchens said i hate the god of the bible so much that to go to heaven would be hell for me right right and so yeah and c.s lewis talks about that in mere christianity as well this idea that you know uh to to stand before a holy god would be utter the most craziest horrible thing you could ever want um you know if you uh you know do not believe you do not trust in the atonement yeah this comparison was like fire with fire grows all the brighter but fire with other than fighter than fire is consumed yeah and that's the picture but the second thing and i mentioned three the second issue is that when you're referencing psalm psalm (laughs) Mm-hmm. We're giving a poetic expression in song lyrics mm-hmm. meant to describe true, a doctrine, a literal concept of God's omnipresence. But it's not as if David was going to go to actual hell in order to hide from God, nor was he going to get a spaceship and go all the way to the, uh, you know, the cat point of the known universe, right? right? He's making a point of emphasis in saying up or down, east or west, left or right, any direction I could go you're there with me yeah. because God's everywhere. And you can emphasize this in a both poetic sense in the Psalms and a historical sense in, I believe this is First Kings, where when Psalm or Solomon uh, 
dedicated the temple, and he said, the heavens of heavens cannot contain you, much less this temple which we have built. So it's noting that God's not bound by time and space. He's as present in Antarctica as he is in the North Pole. Mm-hmm. He's as present in Sheol, which will be our third point here in yes. a second, as he is in heaven, where we quote-unquote would say that he most directly manifests his glory, but it can also refer to the universe. There's three words for heaven, but the or three terms that the word heaven communicates. But there's the real kicker. David intentionally uses the word Sheol. So right. even if you dismiss everything that we've been saying for the last five minutes or so and say, no, that hell has to be you know, Dante Alighieri's you know, Inferno or whatever, fine. But when David says Sheol, that means something. That's it's translated as hell, which isn't necessarily incorrect, but what does that mean to the Hebrew audience that was reading it? Yeah, and, and this is the gr- a great point, because Sheol, um, it, it, the Greek New Testament uses the word Hades. Hmm. Um, so sometimes we get it mixed up. We'll think, we'll use the word hell, when we probably should be more technical and use the word Hades, maybe. Hmm. Um, but the Hebrew word that's used throughout the Old Testament is Sheol. It just literally means the place of the dead. Hmm. And, and so that's it. The, the Old Testament people go to a place called the place of the dead, and that's where they reside. It's interesting, but in Luke chapter 16, when Jesus uh, here, the son, um, uh, comes on the scene, he, uh, let me get there, but in Luke chapter 16, he really opens up kind of our minds to understanding this place of Sheol. It's found in 16, starting at verse 19. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried in, and here's this word, Hades, where he was in torment. He looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in agony. So we get some really good insight into this Sheol, this place of the dead, right? Right. We get a place that was known as paradise, Jesus uh, uh, with the uh, thief on the cross said, today you will be with me in paradise. And so that's what he was referring to. There is this this compartment, if you will, of Sheol called paradise. And there's also a place of agony that is uh, in Sheol as well. And it's separated with some kind of chasm. Yeah, and it's uh, the same term for torment, an internal state of anguish as they're all awaiting final judgment, those to everlasting righteousness and those to everlasting shame, Daniel 12. Yeah, so, and then and then to help maybe a little more on your question, if you go into Ephesians chapter 4, um, there's another passage that you might find interesting there, um, uh, Robert, right? And it says um, in verse 7, it says, yes, but to Robert. each one, yeah, so this is Ephesians 4, 7, but to each one of us grace has been given as Christ ap- uh, apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captivities 
in his train and gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So, um, you know, some people, some commentators look at this and say, hey, you know, when Jesus died, you know, there was this kind of, uh, you know, time where Jesus led people out of um, this idea of the righteous part of Sheol. And he descended to the lower parts of of the earth this right and and so um you know uh, that's the idea is that when jesus uh died when and when he, he said into your hands i commit my spirit mm-hmm. uh jesus's flesh went into the tomb but jesus spirit went into this place of sheol mm. and of course there was probably wonderful rejoicing and proclamation because he made atonement for the sins of all those people that were right. in there yeah, and um, and in a sense, their freedom, you know, was procured by Jesus. Wow, and um, and and so when you read Psalm, all that to say that when you go back to Psalm, the Psalm, and it says, you know, where can I go from your presence? Can I, you know, I can't, you know, even in Sheol. If I go all the way down, yeah. or all the way up, yeah. you're just as much there as if I were right here. That's right, mm-hmm. and and in a real sense, even in Sheol, there's that righteous part of Sheol, uh, Abraham's bosom, if you will, mm-hmm. um, where there's wonderful com- uh, comfort <coughs> uh, and peace. You mm-hmm. know, so right. yeah, yeah, you're waiting you're... for a positive judgment. Your hopes in the Messiah, and he's on his way. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. So uh-huh. uh, um, that that was the third. Uh, of um, point of Sean's is that is technically uh, Sheol just as place of the dead. Yeah, so mm-hmm. you can pretend nothing that we said ever mattered. David uses a different <laughs> term deliberately. Yeah. Gotcha. Great. Great great job, guys. Yeah, it's a good question. Yeah, it is. Um, question from uh, from Robert again. Uh, came in on Facebook. I almost missed it because I need to refresh my page. It got stuck. And Sean kindly nudged me that we had a question come in. Get some extra Um, eyes. (laughs) Yes, I know. It's like, what's wrong with you? Come on. Uh, So my question is, uh, Robert says, is about whether a genuine born-again believer can actually lose their salvation. I know I am secure in my relationship with the Lord, and I make mistakes, but I repent and run back. I understand much scripture, like I see throughout Hebrews and from Jesus himself, that talk about falling away from God's mercy and grace. But is this the same as losing your salvation? Just wanting to see what you guys think. Thanks and God bless. The whole losing your salvation uh, debate. Yeah, the, the most straightforward way we answer this is, I believe in the eternal security of those who abide <laughs> in a living relationship with Jesus Christ. And I also believe in the eternal insecurity of those who don't. Thank you, Chuck Smith. Yeah, to turn that off, the essential point of it is basically understanding he who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life, but the wrath of God abides on him. It's not just there, it's comfortable there. So when we're reading John chapter 3, and by the way, it's not 3.16, that's that quote that I gave you, that's in the later verses. The point of emphasis that John the Baptist was making was understanding just that. It's an either-or, Jesus-or, bust 
situation. Mm. When we understand the security of our salvation, it's going to be directly proportionate to how sufficient we believe that his work on the cross was. If you come from a background that's really insecure about those sort of things, that you and again, I don't say this trying to be chagrin. I have conversations with these kinds of people who read the Bible for the express purpose of talking themselves into a state of being condemned by God. Uh, there's yeah. ultimately going to be passages that you can rip out, like you mentioned in Hebrews, and say that regardless of the fact that it says it is impossible to redeem those who are once called, who have tasted the heavenly gift, seen the sign of the age to come, to renew them again to a spirit of repentance, that is a pretty final term. It's the same term used when it says that it is impossible for God to lie, to violate his own nature. So if we go to the scripture with the goal of wanting to solidify ourselves in our insecurity, then it's going to be just about as much the same productivity as us going to scripture in order to find justification for Jew hatred or justification for a uh, you know complete absence of anything future in terms of the end times or complete fill in the blank as to your pet doctrine nephilim if you want it's all coming down to this idea of what is what in fancy seminary terms the fundamentals of soteriology the study of salvation and it's this do you have Jesus? Okay, how did you acquire him? That, that's, that's another fun way I try to address the question. I think I lost my salvation, or where'd you put it last? Mm -hmm. Right, the most unhelpful and yet profound statement you can ask about this topic. <laughs> because why? If you have Jesus, if what he did for you was enough, then that puts into perspective all the other passages that note it wasn't enough. If Paul, for example, makes the observation, I fulfill in my flesh what is lacking in the work of Christ, people say, oh, so that's saying that the work of the cross isn't sufficient. You have to observe church rituals. You have to be a yeah. church membership at this specific location with this specific kind of architecture, with this specific kind of sacraments and so forth you're going to miss a lot of points. But upon the other hand, you'd say, okay, what is my groundwork? God is the only one who could save me. God wanted to save me. Mm -hmm. God did save me. Yep. Okay, God, the creator of the universe, the only being whose existence is sufficient in of itself, the one who spoke in a creation without a word, the one who entered into that creation, lived a life none of us ever could, and then laid that life down in a system that he had been setting up since Eden and beforehand, if you read Revelation 13, then you go, I think he's going to see this through. Yeah. I think when Paul said, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete until the day of Christ Jesus, I have a lot of security. On the other stat, people who take their salvation for granted, who aren't regarding Jesus, who are regarding themselves and saying, I'm basically good enough. I did the whole God thing. I prayed the prayer. But you wouldn't know Jesus from a can of oatmeal. Then you are in a definite can position oatmeal? where you... <laughs> <laughs> Does oatmeal come in cans? I don't know. Well, I want that. That'll be our next Bible question. Anything yeah. is possible if you try hard enough. <laughs> but <laughs> boiling water can contain in there. But the point being made is just that. You can talk yourself out of anything or talk yourself into anything and be deceived. So the question isn't necessarily where you think you are, because this is another important phrase we use to answer this question. If you had lost your salvation, you wouldn't care. 
because the Holy Spirit's the only one that makes that even a thing. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit, what we call that sealing of promise, Ephesians 1, I think, is where that's mentioned, yeah. Is, yeah, is where we ultimately take this away from. So when it comes to what we need to know mm-hmm. about our salvation, what, what's Soteriology 101 all about? If I have Jesus, I'm secure. Can I justify that scripturally? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, first of all, you're saved by grace and not by your works, Ephesians chapter 2, 8, 9. So I, I can't mean, be unsaved by my yeah, works? Yeah, so it's like if you're not you, saved by your work, then obviously you can't be unsaved by it. <laughs> you who were made perfect by the Spirit are now being made <clears throat> imperfect by the flesh. Yeah, so the book of Galatians was written uh, to really combat the idea that um, your work somehow keeps you saved. Um, and and that's why, and Paul has some very hardcore words. Um, you know, uh, let me just go over some passages with uh, the person. What's their names? Robert. Rob, uh, this is Robert? Okay. Yeah, Robert, then, yeah. Yeah, so we might be familiar with John chapter 10, where Jesus says, hey, my sheep listen to my voice. This is in verse 27, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. So whoever uh, the Father brings to the Son is obviously in a secure place. Um, that's for sure. Mm. So whoever the, the Father brings to the Son, right? Jesus says, my Father who has given me, given them to me, it says, is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father, you got two hands, you know, holding <laughs> you. You know, now we see in the book of Acts that a person named Lydia in Acts 16, it says in verse 14, uh, it talks about her occupation, but then it says the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. So when a person responds to the gospel of Jesus Christ in an affirmative, that is a work of God opening up their heart. To respond to the message. Yep. You cannot respond to the message of, of Jesus Christ in the affirmative apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, 1 Corinthians 12, 3. Right, which says no one can say Jesus is Lord without the Spirit. Yep. And if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Not started to that, get saved? No, that's oh. Romans chapter 10. And then now, you know, we see Colossians, we see passages like this in Colossians chapter 1, where it says, verse 21, um, once you were alienated from God, you were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, am a servant. And so people read these passages and, and uh, of Paul that kind of stress this idea of if you continue in this hope, the hope of what? The gospel of Jesus mm-hmm. Christ. And would we say, is there a place for these kind of warnings to the church? Yeah, absolutely. And we see this in Paul's writing, we see this in Jesus's writing to the church. Um, you know, these very strong warnings to continue in the faith. Um, the book of, uh, and so we would affirm too that it's important to have these admonishments 
in the scriptures to continue. And we would also um, point out that in the book of uh, 1 John, I think it might be, it might be the, the epistle of 2 John, where, uh, but it might be 1 John, where it says uh, that uh, those in the church in Ephesus that, that John is writing uh, went out from among them. Yeah, 2 John. And is it 2 John? Or, oh, and the spirit of Antichrist, they went out from us because they were not of they us. They were not but of us. That point's repeated when it references that uh, interesting character, Dionysus. Yeah, yeah, but it's talking about people that went out from the church, and Paul and John recognizes that they did go out of the church. They left the church, but John says they weren't with us to begin with. Hmm. So obviously John's saying that they weren't part of, they did not receive the gospel, you know, and, they hung uh, out with people who did. They hung out with people who did, but it didn't mean they mm. were. So, you know, uh, do we believe in the security of people that uh, their hearts have been open to the, the gospel of Jesus Christ? Absolutely, we do. Do we believe that uh, there is uh, um, places in the New Testament for strong warnings to those, for those to continue in their faith? Absolutely. Yep. Um, but salvation is by grace and uh, you know so we have to remember that yeah. you know it's not by works of righteousness titus chapter 3 says that right so right. anyway yeah and as someone i tend to be on the more you know insecure side of things i always have to remind myself that you know if if i died to have a relationship with you how invested am i in that relationship <laughs> right, you know right, what i mean right. like oh okay yeah he definitely did what it took to have and how much more would he complete that work like you said you know well yeah. S.A. Egerton says that still cut oats come in cans so just to clear that up <laughs> apparently still cut oats come in cans if you don't know what I'm talking about you missed it God bless you we see you tomorrow on A Reason for Hope thank you for being part of the show you've been listening to A Reason for Hope thank you again for joining us as we continue our journey through God's word one question of the heart at a time until we meet again we would love to connect with you you can text or email your questions to questionsforhope at gmail.com You can also find out more about our ministry at calvarychristianfellowship.com. And be sure to join us next time on A Reason for Hope. A Reason for Hope is an outreach ministry of Calvary Christian Fellowship in Tucson, Arizona.